live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. Hi, I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Noor Menninger. The Divine is a graphic novel which tells the story of two child soldiers and an explosives expert in a fictional Southeast Asian country. Atelka Lahoksky writes for NPR, quote, The Divine relies on the Hanukkah's gorgeous art for its appeal. Their renderings of the story's supernatural elements leave nothing to the imagination. Spidery, precise lines invest the characters with what depth they do have, and the color scheme is like a punch in the face. The artwork's flat style and overwhelming deep hues make the whole book seem to smolder. Today we're joined by Asaf Hanuka, co-author of The Divine, together with his brother Tomer and Boaz Lavi. The Divine received the prestigious International Manga Award in Japan. Asaf's work has been published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Time, and Rolling Stone. And his most recent graphic novel, The Realist, was awarded the 2016 Eisner Prize. He joins us today to talk about his inspirations, his career, and his successes, which weren't reached without a fair share of struggle. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. Also in cooperation with Secret Tel Aviv, Israel's largest online social network community in English. Just look for the group on Facebook or visit them at secrettelaviv.com. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. And of course, we want to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think in the comments or send us a message on Facebook. Hello. So how, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good, good. Good. Excited. Me too. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So will you tell us where you got started. Um, you got started in, in the Israeli army, actually. Uh, yeah, but first I just want to make a short note about that NPR uh, review. I think, you bribed him. No, Her. I think that I'm, I'm grateful for the compliment, but I think it was unjust for the writer, Boaz Lavi, who did a job just as good as the images. I think images are more easily appreciated, uh-huh. but uh, constructing a story and a plot is important. Yeah, but you know, we had to we had to pull the quote yeah, that you yeah, know yeah, okay. makes you seem like the most important <laughs> person in the book. So I don't know who that was, Lavig. Yeah, no, okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But tell us a little bit about where where you got started, how you got started. So I think um, for me, it was really the story of growing up with a twin brother, and we grew up in Israel in time in a time in a period of time where the television was black and white, and there wasn't so much inspiration uh, by the way it's worth noting that yeah. it was black and white although the technology for color already existed of course but to make it equal for everyone the state decided to decolor the color oh really yeah uh, and so uh, wow. they actually shot it in color and then broadcasted it in black and white so that everyone gets the same black and white and those who are rich can get color okay sorry continue i thought we were poor <laughs> so that's comforting um yeah so um so we found comics and comics saved our lives in a lot of ways because it was an escape to a world full of color and and movements and superpowers and secrets and it was nothing like uh you know israel in the 70s beginning of the 80s just a suburb with nothing so we got addicted to this uh you know boost of colors and ideas and that's how it started how did you get your hands on it some aunts uh aunt ruti 
it, she's the sister of my mother. She was living there, and she sent us from L.A. Just uh, so. Stuff. Do you, do you remember what your first comic book was, or? I think it was X Men. X Men. Yeah. Which one? Not that I know. I remember, the there was a but... mess with Phoenix. Yeah. Was she good? Was she bad? She was just an evil uh, woman. Everyone was crazy. The Phoenix is like the red-haired girl? Yeah, and she was burning like a bird. I didn't know yeah. how to read it. You know, it was just all very cryptic. Uh, I just okay. loved the imagery of this crazy lady. So it was in English. So you couldn't actually read and you just would, would look at the pictures. Yeah, but because we couldn't read, we could invent our own stories. So it was... It had some advantage. Yeah. Ah, really? So you guys would come up with random stories about how this redhead was... I think it was really just uh, trying to follow the story and follow a narrative and images. Okay. And yeah, it was really interesting. Nice, nice. And, and do you, was there Israeli comics at the time? There, were, there weren't any Israeli... Not at the time, but then Urion, uh-huh. uh, which was uh, done by a guy who did Batman, Michael Netzer. He drew Batman in New York, and then he Chazar Betshuva. How do you say that? Became religious. Yeah, and then he he moved to Israel. And really? Yeah, and he started doing this uh, Israeli superhero that kind of looked like an American superhero, only he was Temani. So he was Yemenite. Yemenite. So there is an Israeli superhero, and he's Yemenite. Urion. Yeah. Wow, I always thought there was no Israeli superhero. Uh, now you know. Urion, it's Amazing. like Uri libido, basically. Uri on, like turn on? No, on, it's like libido, you know? <laughs> Just power, on is power. Or power, yeah, I guess. So then, I mean, you did, did, when did you start drawing, actually putting, you know, pen to paper? I think we always did that. I can't remember a point where it started. I think it was just very natural, and uh, there was always paper and pencils. Our parents were very, you know, aware of the fact that we're doing this obsessively. So they didn't try to stop us, just gave us a bunch of paper and just we did that all day. Really? Yeah. That's not typical for Israeli parents in the eight, 70s, 80s? Uh, I think, you know, we were three children, my sister Aya, who's a bit older, and two twins. Uh, so they were kind of happy that it's qu- quiet in the house, you know, no yeah. one's fighting. <laughs> as long as you guys <laughs> shut up and draw exactly. or do whatever yeah. you want, just, yeah. just be quiet. <laughs> it worked. And how did you two decide that this is... A career path did it happen in the same time or i mean it's not obvious that the two of you are doing it still and this is your the career of both of you you know how did this happen was it like a competition it was like well if he's gonna do it uh, i think there's always a competition but since we're doing it for so long both of us we kind of know how to handle it i think even though we're both doing it each has its own kind of niche mm-hmm. so he's doing a lot of movie posters and prints and like big projects with the advertising agency and more illustration and I'm doing more comic books. Right, and he lives abroad. He used to for Ah, 20 years and now he's back, yeah. Okay. But when I heard that you guys both, you know, are these extremely successful comic book artists and you're both twins, in my mind, I immediately imagine these two twins that are constantly competing with each other, like from age zero, you know, like, no, I'm going to do it better. I'm gonna... Is it like that? Or was it just kind of a collaborative childhood? Like, how did you how did you guys look like as kids? I think you can't really win in comics. You always lose. There's, there's <laughs> no like big exit or, yeah. you know, someone's going to become the CEO yeah. or sell his shares. 
it never happened. I mean, whatever, if, you, if you're very successful, you're going to lose. So it's okay, you know, there's no pressure. Each does what's just, you know, you pursue what you have in your mind, try to be the best you can in what you do, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the real competition is against yourself, mm-hmm. expectation that you have from yourself. That's and so at some point you you drafted the Israeli army and you start drawing for Bemahane, which is the Israeli army's uh, weekly magazine. Yeah, I think I was maybe, you know, the luckiest soldier on earth because I got to really draw comics during my army service. That's amazing. And uh, I think the, the maybe, you know, the, the best part was that it was kind of, you know, sad stories about soldiers having second thoughts, you know, considering maybe quitting the army. And really? And they published it? And they, because they thought it's just <laughs> jokes, you know, it's comics, who cares, you know, it's in the end of the paper, no one reads it. So he, he can do that, you know, that weird guy with the glasses, he can do whatever he wants. So I started adapting Edgar Kerr's stories at the time because he published his first book. And we did a few uh, long stories and it was really amazing. And what were the reactions from the soldiers? You know, one night I, I spoke to a soldier that used to be in Golani and he was injured. Then he, he came to Bamahane as a driver, he did some kind of production work. And he told me that when he read it, he felt better because I, and I told him, don't you think it's sad? Or, and he said, of course, it's sad, but being a soldier, a lot of times it's sad. And when you read this kind of allows you to maybe, you know, feel a little bit better because you're not alone in this conflict. So I think it had some positive reaction. I feel this leads us perfectly to your book, The Realist, because you took that concept and then you made it so that we all can relate to it, I guess, because this book is basically about everyday life, right? Yeah. Uh, a little bit about Seinfeld. It's almost a book about nothing, I would say, right? I, I, that's how I felt, at least. Because it's about everything, but it's really about everyday stuff. Really an Israeli book. It's so... It has... You, 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 you catch some colors and, and, and depths of the, being an Israeli that I haven't seen anywhere else in movies or, or in books. Something very unique. So... Why is my question, I guess. Why this kind of storytelling? I th- before I started this, I was doing uh, commercial illustrating for 15 years. And I, I still have an agent in New York and I'm doing work for you know, Wall Street Journal. And the concept of American editorial work is one big idea. It means that the illustration should be readable in one second. So if it's about, I don't know, some, something in the market and money and exchange, then you have to understand it right away. And I took all these commercial tools of communication and tried to apply them to, as you said, very small things in, in my life. So I looked at, you know, at my family, at my apartment, at my street, and I tried to present it with commercial tools. So maybe that's where... The, it's like a new connection between something commercial to something personal. Usually the personal stuff is very yeah. you know, fast in business. There's something very Israeli about it, though, in this, in, like, there's not, there's something almost literally Israeli about it, where there's certain, it seemed to me, references, the first one that pops to mind, to, like, actual things that, that I think if you don't speak Hebrew or if you're not Israeli, you don't understand. There was one page where you're at the hospital 
and uh and and you're getting diagnosed or you're getting a checkup and then there's this picture of a red shark yeah and you know no one's going to understand that if they don't understand hebrew and understand that that's like a karish dam so which it, means is that karish dam is uh, like a uh, uh, no blood clot yeah so is that is that like a, are you are you playing around with your reader i mean is this book actually published in hebrew as well uh yeah it's just uh a month ago it was released in hebrew by pardes so ah, okay now it's in all the big stores but it was originally just in english it was published uh page by page in hebrew in a newspaper called calcalist mm-hmm. so actually it's like a weekly column that i do mm-hmm. ah, okay. and it's a sort of my day job uh, so each week i do a story about what happened to me during that week uh-huh. mm. and this is why it's short stories each story is just one page Okay, there are still arcs that's the arcs of life I the guess. arcs of life yeah uh, but everything is true more so or less in the stories that you tell here not when my wife turns into a monster though that okay. never happened I'll give you that <laughs> although <laughs> figuratively <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's actually amazing that you're that you compiled kind of you documenting you know once a week and then you and then Naol who was completely oblivious to this sees these arc so they really are the, the arcs of life they really are yeah my fear when when the book got published is that people will say oh just a collection of stuff you don't understand doesn't have any connection and i'm glad that there's some kind of like a longer stories even if it's not intended it's kind of it's great but beyond the fact that you used your life to get some ideas for a weekly column I am wondering if it's you know it beats a psychologist to to do this book to do those columns and to deal specifically in your comics with your life and with your problems fears and and faults I would say uh, I think that all creative people have some kind of sensibility problem that they are sensible to something. And if they don't use it to create art, they become crazy. And I think <laughs> for me, it was, yeah, it was sort of a healing process because if something was really bothering me, then like I had a problem, I didn't know how to solve it. But then I turned it into artistic problem. Okay, so I have eight hours and nine frames and I'm going to have to present this problem as a comics. And then creating the comics became the problem and I don't care about the real problem. So it's, yeah, it is a way to understand what I think and how to cope with it. You know, I, I sorry, Aitan, just because uh, the film Deconstructing Harry, which is Woody Allen's best film, it begins, Harry is, is a novelist, okay? And the film begins when his uh, ex-wife, I think, uh, tries to shoot him and kill him because he portrayed her character wrongfully, in her opinion, in his new novel. And I'm wondering <laughs> if your wife tried to shoot you. <laughs> yeah, or basically, what's the downside of, of that? It's tricky because uh, it's her, and I do talk about some personal stuff. I always try to show it to her before, and actually she's kind of, uh, you know, very involved. She adds lines, she changes really? stuff. <laughs> and she said, no, you, I'm not, I, I don't look like that. You should draw my hair differently. So I try to make it like a, a family effort. It's not just me. It's we're doing it together. And some, there was a few times where I, got, I, I crossed the line. So I just took note and, and never went there. Okay. I think that life is more important than art. You know, the bottom line. Really? Yes. 
<laughs> so your brother chose to move to the States and pursue a career over there. How come you chose to stay here in Israel and continue here? Uh, I did spend four years in France. Mm. So I studied there after the army. I went to France to Lyon and I studied uh, art there. And my dream was to become a French comics artist because I always admired in you know, Mobius and all the big uh, French uh, comic artists. Uh, th there's this thing in illustration, it's called the French touch. Mm -hmm. It's really common in animation. French touch, it means that you can do something realistically, but with very few lines, very simply. To be simple and realistic at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to learn that. And after four years, I realized I can't do it. You know, you have to be, I don't know, born French or something. <laughs> I was missing something. <laughs> so I came back to Israel and said, okay, I have my own touch. I guess it's the Hanukkah touch. <laughs> and I have to live with that. The Iraqi touch. And I think that when I touched, you know, the, the limit there, when I came back, I just realized I need to do something with, with this, you know, with who I am, with Israel. And this is how it started. And yet you named your book The Realist. Even though you couldn't get that, that realist touch. How come? <laughs> because it's the Israeli realist touch. Ah, okay. Yeah. Israelist. So what, nice. what do you think is Israeli about you, your work? What is Israeli about my work? Let's see. I don't know. It's hard for me to, to look from outside. I think the fact that basically being in Israel, it means that you have no tradition. I mean, in the terms of art. It's not, there's not long history. You didn't, you know, do paintings in the 18th century. There's nothing. There was right. nothing. Uh -huh. So you are able to steal from everyone. <laughs> so I could do like realistic illustration, then do something cartoony, then imitate uh, cinema, and then do something very theatrical. I can steal from everyone. I don't have to be in a certain style. And I think this is very Israeli. The fact that there's no rules, and if there are rules, you need to break them. And you're kind of free to make your own thing. Freedom. Interesting. It's just like in food, basically. We had Gil Chovav here to talk about Israeli yeah. food, so it really resonates. We resonates. have nothing we as have Israelis. Nothing in anything. We have falafel. But it's not really Israeli. I guess not. It's Egyptian, he said. Yeah, we stole everything. Yeah. Even the land. Okay, now we're going to keep going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, tell us who Roberto Soviano is and how uh, this collaboration started. So Roberto Soviano is an Italian journalist writer, and he wrote 10 years ago Gamora, which is a book about the mafia in Napoli. And he was um, living there, and I think he knew some people who worked and he did like a journalist investigation, but also fiction. And he wrote this book who really explains how everything works, it became a movie, and now it's a series and on Netflix. And he read The Realist when it was published in Italian. And then he thought that I would be maybe someone who could tell his story since he published Gamora, because what happened is when it got published, it got a bestseller and sold millions, and the mafia decided to kill him. And then police came to his house and said, come on, you have to, two weeks, you have to be in the station. And he stayed there 10 years. So actually his life stopped at 26. Now he's 36. For 10 years, he lives like in a closed box. So he's basically in jail. <laughs> sort of, yeah. But at the same time, he's very famous and he's very like a public figure in Italy. He does a lot of, uh, you know, um, public appearances and lectures and he, he published books. So mm -hmm. he's, he's like a celebrity, but at the same time, he has to hide. 
and it's it's a crazy story so about he infiltrated the ranks of the napoli mafia and then told their story in in a graphic novel no no, no. he's a writer just you know uh, he wrote uh, okay. a novel he wrote a novel okay and now he wants to do a graphic novel right yeah. about what happened to him after the book was published mm-hmm. how he was chased right mm-hmm. about the 10 years in hiding uh-huh But he was he's an investigative journalist or I mean he went in in like uh, and and went undercover in the in the mafia like what is how he grew up in the neighborhood with all you know the guys from the mafia and, ah, okay. and he was a student I think he studied philosophy okay so he was doing his studies but at the same time kind of doing small jobs mm-hmm. uh, this is in the book so this is how he got to know everyone but at the same time if there was a murder he was go on his bicycle you know he was writing about it he was like also reporting it mm-hmm. so he really just had like a lot of information and he turned it into his story so now he wants to do this graphic novels and he decided you're the one to do it with basically yeah so he just calls you from his hideout of course he can't call me he cannot call you no he can't call me there's always someone in the middle so And no one called me. Someone came to meet me when I was in France. And he told me this story. So there was no emails in the beginning. Wow. Yeah. So how does it work from there? Tell us. If uh, you're allowed to. Are you in danger? Are we in danger? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I met him in Napoli. It was very complicated to organize it because... Uh, I mean, I met him in Milano. Of course, not in Napoli because no one can get to Napoli now. But uh, there was a publisher who was interested, so he set the meeting and he came with two cars and eight cops and we were in a room, guard with, you know, with guards, and he just told me his story for two days. We sat and uh, he told me everything. There was a lot of crazy little stories about, you know, all the guilt and his family, how everyone had to change names. People stopped talking to him and about uh, his regrets that he, he say a lot of that if he could go back in time, he would never do it because actually he, he lost everything in a way. So he has no girlfriend, family, children, or I does he? I don't think that in his condition you can... Uh, right, right. So it was really fascinating because the way he told it was very honest, which is the most important ingredient in autobiography. He, like he doesn't have any shame, just tell you. As it is but because he's a writer every anecdote has like this visual idea or metaphor which is great for comics it's perfect so all the stories has this you know little fantasy parts so did you immediately after this meeting go and start drawing or I mean how is the how is the process gonna look like uh, it was a little bit more complicated I I wrote a few ideas that I thought would be good for comics and then he took it and he wrote a lot of stories and And I get the stories, and now I do like each story is like eight, ten pages. Um, I think I have maybe 40 or 50 pages by now. That's But you, are you going to have to meet with him again? We did meet a second time somewhere else, not in Italy. And it's very hard to meet him, but I, I think, yeah, I think that it's important for us to meet every few months. Mm-hmm. And do, when can we expect uh, this book? The release date is in March next year. March next year like March 18 yes so ah, soon soon yeah I hope I'll, I'll and time. and also <laughs> it won't be an exaggeration to expect an adaptation I would assume adaptation for for a film or a TV show like uh, Gomorrah got 
think? Uh, you know, it would be amazing, but I really think that my, you know, job is to do great comics. So if it get published, I mean, if it get adap- adapted or not. If Stan Lee would say that, where would he have been, you know? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> Stan Lee, you know, I'm just like a simple guy. I don't uh... <laughs> So, I so, um, so it's amazing. Yeah, that is incredible. It's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. I don't know why you agreed to do this. <laughs> I think that we kind of look alike, you know? He's like also, he's bald and he has he never shaves. And, well, he's Italian, of course, so he's much better looking, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's. He's a great guy. I'm really glad I'm doing it, you know? It's, uh, it's like he's a good man. It sounds like a kind of a project, you know, that. Really, it's a turning point. You, I, I'm just from an outside reading about your career but this feels just for me as something different and special in your career like I, uh, you know what i'm saying it feels very you're gonna end up freaking him out no 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 pressure no pressure i sound like your mother <laughs> he sat down with like a, a run after italian uh, mobster and like now you're gonna scare him because now you're gonna be like i'm saying it because it's also a big deal because he's a big deal and and it's world uh, interest and everything but also it sounds artistically like a big deal you know what i mean it's a great challenge and i think that i'm looking for those kind of challenges so i feel lucky how worried are you or concerned are you with representing someone because with the divine and with the real the realist was autobiographical with the divine it was a made-up story Um, I don't know about your other works, but how are you uh, co- are you concerned at all about representing someone else's life and doing it accurately? It's not simple. Uh, the fact that he writes the text mm-hmm. and there is a dialogue that I'm sending sketches and ideas and layouts and he sent me back stuff uh, with comments and notes. So of course it has to be very uh, I have to be very s- sensitive. about all kind of nuance mm-hmm. um, I think that he saw something in the realist the fact that it's a bit offbeat you know there's no big drama it's a lot of subtext mm-hmm. so I, I feel that if this was a film and I was an actor and he was the director he kind of chose me because what I bring to the table so I try to to do that natural thing and not like try too much too hard yeah there is a lot of subtext now that you met not now that you mentioned it but That you're mentioning there's a lot of subtext in the realist that you know you sometimes get to the end of a page and you feel like damn it there's a message here and I have to <laughs> like dig for it. you know what I mean you make people work for it why is that um, I think that for me the only reason to write a story is if you have a good subtext and you have some kind of um, It's not encrypted message, but I want to do something that is uh, it's like uh, it's showbiz, you know, I want people to have fun to have nice colors and, and maybe funny drawings, but it has to have something else. Otherwise, I'm just passing time for someone. Mm-hmm. I want to do something I mean I want to say something that more important, more meaningful. So I'm not going to say it out loud. Also, I think because in Israel, you know in politics, either you're left or you're right. And then if you're there, then everyone on the other side hates you. I don't want to be in that game. I mm-hmm. have my position and I'm going to try to tell it, but in a more delicate way. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid sometimes of being too political, of being... I'm not afraid of it. I, I think that the opposite. I'm, I got this page in the paper, so I have to say what other people can say or won't say. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to really use this platform. 
So no, I'm. You don't. You don't sometimes wonder whether or not you're going. Do you ever consider, you know, the effect of, like, on your audience, whether or not you're going to scare people away? Does that ever come to mind? You know, if if I say this, people aren't going to like it. If I say that, or do you try and? I mean, obviously, I'm assuming you try and push those away. But how how often do they kind of seep in? It's true that in the you know so in social uh, media when you have likes and you can count the likes, mm-hmm. I can actually count the likes of every column I ever did and say, oh, that got the best likes, so maybe I should do all all stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's very tricky, and I try to avoid it. I think that for me, just trying to be honest and true, and I think that is what really people can sense. It doesn't matter if they know the con- subtext or not, but if you say something and you're true, then mm-hmm. it's meaningful and they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two questions from the audience, which is Tomer, our friend who sits <laughs> here. And so question number one is, uh, who are your inspirations and who would you say leads your industry today? Okay, so inspirations, I call them my, you know, it's like rabbis. It's just like my religion is comics. So I have <laughs> on the Asian part, Ukatsuhuro Otomo. He did Akira in the 80s and he's a very big manga creator from Japan. And I think there's something about Akira because it's about like children who got old because they took some magical pills and now there's a lot of fights. Anyway, it's a long story, but I'm very influenced by what he did. On the French, I guess it's Mobius because it's science fiction, but at the same time, very realistic. And American for me, it's Robert Crumb. Because, you know, he is not shy from showing his sexual desires for big women. And I appreciate that. Oh, uh, yeah. Wait, but what did he write? Uh, Crumb. He did a lot of stuff. It's the cat. He recently did the Bible. He did an illustrated version of the Bible. Really? Is it just straightforward or is it uh, have some it's, kind of commentary? It's amazing how straightforward it is. But <laughs> really? the way it's drawn, everyone is kind of ugly. So it's And Miriam is a big woman. It's yeah, <laughs> a lot of big women, of course. <laughs> God's a big woman. Yeah. Um, okay, so who leads the industry today? I met in France uh, a guy called Riyad Satouf. He's Arab. Uh, his dad is from Syria and his mom is French. And he did a book called The Arab of the Future. And it was about his childhood in Syria because he grew up in Syria and then he came to France. Wow. So it's autobiographical and it's about that uh, era, which is, I guess, the 80s in Syria. And for me, it's, it's called uh, in French L'Arabe du Futur. And I think it's a great, great book. Nice. Okay. Good recommendation. And then there's the second question of Tomer. You do You read it. What is your take on drawing arts? Drawing or art? Drawing study. or art studies, studying abroad, online courses, and the such. Like, what do you, would you, I guess it, it means what would you recommend for someone young who wants to go into comics? Should he go and... You said s- you yourself went to study in France and then ended up realizing that, you know, that you didn't find what you were looking for. Was it, you know... A failure to go study or did you learn something from it nonetheless i think it's very hard to recommend to anyone because each has to find his own path you have to be very you know uh, consistent and very stubborn because it's not easy to do it and you mean like make a living and support your family with doing comics so first you have to really really want it 
And for me, I guess what I did learn is a lot of classical training, how to draw anatomy and shading and observe the surrounding and draw from life and do a lot of sketching, millions of sketches. And this is what, what helped me, you know, move forward. But I see kids on the internet that can't draw and doing amazing, funny stuff with very little academic uh, knowledge and it, it works. So I don't think there is a method. For me, it was very, very important like, to learn the basics of how to draw. Mm-hmm. What are the big, you mentioned it a little bit, but it must come with a challenge and with difficulties to pursue such a career uh, like you chose. Being an artist in Israel, why would you stay in Israel in the first place? That's another question. But I, I love this country. Really? No. <laughs> no? I like it. I you like, like it. it. It's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> um, but, so, I guess, what are the difficulties? What are the, the challenges that uh, we don't see? From, because from here, it looks so glorious. You mean, what are the challenges of being comic artists in Israel? Yeah. That everyone will tell you not to do it. Starting from your parents, your grandparents, your wife, your kids... No one wants you to do it. Your kids don't want you to do they it? They just want to get a suit and go to work like everyone else. Your, da- your kid wakes up and tells you to get a real job? He just you know, said, I saw this uh, other kid in my, in my school and his dad, he's a lawyer and he has this fancy suit. You never have a suit. Where's your tie? You always look the same. You never shave. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. It's humiliating. No, but it's like, there's, there's a certain like a square that a uh, certain, I don't know, like you have to become someone in some kind of average so people around you feel that everything is normal. Mm-hmm. But if you do this, then it's not normal. I mean, it's, it's a struggle. So, of course, it would be easier for everyone if, you, if I just had like a regular job. Mm-hmm. So, what about um, dreams? What is your, your aspiration? And it's funny to say that with so much, you know, That you've already done but how uh, what what is your you know dream job dream book dream project i think that if i manage to finish uh, saviano and i'll be still Alive. breathing <laughs> 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 then i guess my next book is what i'm thinking about this is my dream project and it's about the history of uh, my father's family in tveria how do you say tveria tiberia Tiberius. Tiberius, yeah. Tiberius, yeah. So there was Jews who came from Kurdistan, from the north of Iraq to Israel in the 19th century. And they lived there very peacefully with Arab neighbors. And they had a story, you know, they had, they had life. And everything ended when the state of Israel started. Uh-huh. So I guess this is kind of a period and a history of, of one Jewish clan that was never told when I went to school. And I want to tell this story. We're talking early 20th century or even late 19th century? There was a big Arab revolt in 38. Yes. So that was like when Arabs started killing Jews because, you know, they sensed that the state of Israel is, is going to become. Mm-hmm. So everything that happened before that. Uh-huh. So specifically, I think this story is going to start at, 80, at uh, 28. That could be one hell of a cool comic book. I don't know. I think. I love it. <laughs> how, do, how do you start with that? You know, like, does it start with research? Writing? Does it start with, re- I mean, research, research, but then do you sit and write the story? Or do you just imagine that you go straight to images? 
uh, now just I'm doing yeah I'm just speaking with people in the family I'm speaking with my dad I'm going to Tiberias mm-hmm. just seeing stuff taking photos I think the next step would be to find a format the format is really what it's like I have to find some kind of a of a form to pour in all the ideas so I don't know if it's going to be just one pages or two pages or, or scenes or is it going to be like flashbacks I have to mm-hmm. think how to how to build it and then I'm just gonna well I don't really write I just I draw very very little pages and write next to it let me see so you do rough sketches and draw and write a little note of what it is exactly and then and then you go back and you elaborate on it usually it's yeah it's the narrative that uh, comes first and then I write a dialogue or something mm-hmm. well that's so impressive and uh, you. you know I'm just and and it makes me think because in our field film and uh, Ethan don't Ethan sometimes is mad at me for where I'm including him but for me he's a screenwriter and a filmmaker he he'll he'll always be but it resonates because also the question of you do your art but do you think of it commercially what is commercial about it it would seem that the realist there is no apparent reason why anyone outside of this country would care and yet people do care and people do relate to it And yet it's so Israeli and so personal. And again, with this new book you're, you're, you're thinking about. So, you know, it's, it's a question whether or not an artist should even think commercially. There's always this tension, I guess, between commercial and personal, right? I really try not to think myself as an artist, but more as a visual communicator. So my job is to communicate ideas through images. And if the reader does not understand, then it's my fault. If he didn't have a good time, then it's my fault. Of course, to a certain extent, if someone just hates what I do, then it's okay. But my job is to communicate. And if I don't do it well, then people will not be interested. So it's not about like my ego as an artist. Or I just try to do my work as best as I can and hope people will be interested. So you're, you're, in the end of the day, you were here to tell a good story. Yeah, I don't know, you know, commercial or art, all that is just secondary. It's just uh-huh. about telling ideas. Well, I can relate to that, I think. Yeah, this okay. was really fascinating. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We are really looking for, and we would love to have you again after the book is I released. I would love to come, and thanks for having me. So um, a little bit about where can we get your work. So all your books, The Divine and Realist, and there's a sequel to The Realist, right? Yeah, there's The Realist Part 2. It's called Realist Plug and Play. Uh-huh. And it's all in uh, on uh, Amazon, yeah. everywhere, and you can get it there. And you also have a Facebook page, right? I do have a Facebook page called The Realist. And a Twitter account? I guess I have a Twitter also. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen your tweets. Come on. I Don't hide. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I love my Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have Twitter under Asaf Hanuka, and we'll put links to it. And not, but uh, just a quick one, but uh, your, your drawings... Can, you are not selling them separately, right? Or do you? There are no drawings. Everything is digital. Digital. Because some pages in this book, I was like, damn, I would love to just hang this on my wall, you know? Uh, you could go to the Etsy print shop and buy prints. You're selling 
some of the, your things on Etsy? Yeah, there's prints. I mean, just prints or just signed prints. So that's what I'm asking, I think. So here you go. Okay, cool. <laughs> you got what you wanted. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so Etsy. And, uh, we also have yeah. uh, um, two cooperations that we work, that we, uh, work with. Uh, one is the Jewish Journal in uh, Los Angeles, which is a great source for uh, news, specifically Jewish news um uh in in the states and the other cooperation is with secret tel aviv which is like 150 i think almost 160,000 strong member strong group on facebook uh great for you know all kinds of events re uh, restaurant recommendations whatever and just uh reading funny posts of random people that are upset about not finding parking or whatever <laughs> so yeah and that was it i think Thank you so much, Asaf. It was a great pleasure to have you. Thank, Thank you for you having me. And try not to get killed by the Italian mafia. I will, I will, I promise. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.